Let's take our Bibles. Let's head to the book of Acts. While you're turning to Acts chapter 1, let's just see a 4th of July quiz. Let's do a little bit of history. I know you love history. And you not, all these things are so easy. So let's do a trivia quiz. Number one goes this way. What document do we celebrate on the 4th of July? I think I heard it. Okay. The Declaration of Independence. From which country did our forefathers declare their independence? Oh, you guys are good. What day in, 19, in 19, 1776 did the Continental Congress declare their independence? On that day. Yeah, yeah. July 2nd. Okay, they ratified it on the 4th. In what city did the official declaration of independence take place? Oh, you guys are good. Here we go. How many men signed the Declaration of Independence? A lot. <laughs> Can't argue with that. That's a good one. Anybody know? Remember? Yeah, you're right. 56. On what day did they sign the Declaration? On Tuesday. You sure it was? You're not sure. You're just giving me a hard time. A day ending in Y. Okay, we're getting better here. I'll help you out. Okay, August 2nd. Okay. Who was the primary author of the declaration? Okay, and he had a committee of different people who helped him to do it, but he did it mostly. Who was the first one to sign? Right in the middle, big letters. How many states initially made up the U.S.? 13. Oh, look at this. It's so easy. Okay. In what shape were the stars first placed on the Stars and Stripes? Why? Yeah. Okay. It was the idea of the unity and to show equality more than anything. How many times is the Liberty Bell rung every 4th of July? It's not really rung, but they, they tap it now. How many times? 13 times. Do you know who ring, who taps it? I didn't know this. Did anybody know? One of those who can prove that they're a descendant of one of the signers of the Declaration. Interesting. Okay. Where was the Declaration of Independence stored in World War II? <laughs> or Biden's, one of the two, right? <laughs> Actually not. Okay. <laughs> what country declared their independence from the United States on July 4th, 60? Do you know? Nope. You're close, but on the other side of the... Philippines. Ah, okay. You did really good on that one. Let's do a quiz on Acts. We've already had a lot of information on Acts, a whole week's worth. It was a week ago. Can you remember a week ago? Here we go. We'll make it just as easy. Who wrote the book of Acts? What was his profession? Yeah, okay. He was a, not a Bible writer. Okay. He, was, he was a physician. Okay. To whom does he write? Theophilus. Very good. Why did he write it? <laughs> okay. Do you remember? Because. Okay. 
There, I made four observations for you. Okay. We said to defend Christianity before the Roman Empire, which was growing in its opposition. We said, number two, it gives information what happened after the, book, the Gospels are done. Okay, then what happened? And so it's filling in that blank. We said, number three, to give us encouragement and examples of how Christians should live even beyond Jesus Christ. Number four, we said it's a manual for the church, how we're supposed to function. So within the book of Acts, there's all kinds of illustration. There's instruction. There's also incentives that are given. I find it very interesting that in the very first paragraph, in the first account that he's going to record in chapter one, starting with one all the way down through chapter 11, what he does in this section is he points out or he refers to four, I'm going to call them essentials, four essentials that are critical upon which the church, upon which Christian life is based. These are the foundation practices or beliefs that he's going to mention, and they're going to develop all the way through the book of Acts. And I just want to highlight them this morning before we go and have lunch together. I want to point out these four major essentials to Christianity that he brings up. One is stated in the very first few verses, there is a dependence upon the words and works of Jesus Christ. Watch how he starts. The former treatise, have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus, what's your next word? began to do and to teach. What's the word began indicate to you? Okay, the beginning, yeah. There's got to be more to follow. Okay, he began to do it in the Gospels until the day in which he was taken up after that. He, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. There is, the author wants us to catch that there is a real dependence upon Jesus. The work of the church, the work of the Gospels, it was all a work of Jesus Christ. It wasn't man-designed, it wasn't man-made. And then when, when Jesus ascended to heaven, he continued to work, but this time he's working through the Holy Spirit. Instead of face-to-face, he's working through the Holy Spirit. This is going to be highlighted through the book of Acts. Multiple times you're going to read in Acts phrases that will highlight Jesus is behind the scene. Jesus is doing the work. I mean, Jesus appears to uh, the apostle uh, Paul when he's going to be born again. Peter, uh, Jesus appears to Stephen, the first martyr, multiple times. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the name of the Lord, you're healed. In the name of the Lord, rise up. Uh, They're going to make comment, by the hand of the Lord. Repeatedly, the people who are living in that time period understand we need to rely upon Jesus Christ. We need to have a total dependence upon him. And then what he does in the next couple verses, he highlights one of the greatest works of Jesus Christ, upon which all of Christianity is based, the resurrection of Christ. Watch what he mentions here in this next verse, where he says, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them for 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. This is all in reference to Jesus having died, buried, and then risen again. And he's going to make sure, I want to highlight to you as I open this letter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is critical to our beliefs to our church understanding. Now, there's all kinds of stories of people who have all of a sudden had instances where they come back from the dead. There's a fellow that in the late 90s, his name was, as we put up here, Ajay Happy Chopra. He decided that he was going to leave his hometown of New Delhi because he was so involved with different types of addictions and his family was having conflicts that he was going to move away. So he went away for an extended period of time. 
And all of a sudden, his brother, several years later, is in the marketplace downtown, and he sees his brother. He looks emaciated, but it is his brother. He is convinced of it. And he walks up to him, and he says, Are you happy? The man says, the man doesn't say anything. He doesn't speak. The man, "Uh uh-huh. So he says, You're happy. Come home with me. The man gladly goes home with him. So they go home, they have a celebration, they invite the neighbors, invite the relatives, that happy has returned. That evening, after all the celebrating, they all go to bed and happy dies in his bed. So the family the next day does what they need to do. They take him, they prepare him, they cremate him, and they spread his ashes all in the next morning. Later that same day, a fellow shows up at the door, and he says... I'm happy. And he looks the same. And the family is going, who did we just cremate? We don't know. They never did find out. Okay. Is Jesus' story that bizarre? No, not at all. Jesus is going to make sure that, and John, I'm sorry, Luke, is going to make sure he says that we have what we believe in, our faith is based on many infallible proofs. Irrefutable, convincing facts. In fact, he makes comment about them. He says there was visual evidence. Did you see that in verse 3? Being seen. And then not only was there visual evidence, what else? I mean, people see entities. People see, you know, spirit world. But what does he add to it? Not only was he visibly seen, but he, he spoke. There was verbal confirmation. There was verbal type of evidence. And how long did they last? Look at the verse. How many times did Jesus, or how many, over how many days did Jesus make sure this was happening? Forty days. And so you go through this passage and you say, okay, what Luke is trying to highlight to you and me is this is an essential. Jesus is alive. Now you pause with me for a, think, for a moment and think about it. What are some of the infallible proofs that if you were at work tomorrow, you go to school tomorrow, and, which you won't do because it's summertime, but you're meeting and talking with somebody, and they say, how do you know Jesus resurrected? What proofs are there? What would you say? Please, what are some of the proofs that Jesus rose again? What's that? The apostles were eyewitnesses of, of the account. What else? Multiple witnesses. How many? There was even up to how many? 500 at one time. Okay, what else? Okay, did he, he ate with them. Okay, he ate with them. What else? Okay, it's in his word, but there's lots of claims. We're looking and saying infallible proofs, evidences. The empty tomb. Okay, the empty tomb. If they went to the wrong tomb, what did his enemies have to do? Just take them to the right tomb. If the body was still there, why didn't the leaders who denied it take him to the right tomb? His tomb was empty and they knew it. The leaders knew it. Any other evidences that you can think of? Oh, excellent. The changes in the disciples. If we just started listing a few of these things that gave evidence that Jesus was there. He appeared to so many different people in so many different times, in so many different locations. Usually when people have these visions and different things, they're associated with a time, they're associated with a place, they're associated with you know, some event or location or time of day. 
This isn't the case. Jesus appeared morning, night, and noon. Jesus appeared at multiple different places. He appeared to multiple different people. Lots of people, not just one or two, but lots of people, sometimes alone. Sometimes he appeared quickly. Sometimes he appeared for an extended length of time. He walked with the men all the way down to the road of Emmaus. And so there's a variety in his appearances that indicate this was real. This wasn't exaggerated. This wasn't, you know, late night pizza acting up or anything like that. This was absolutely real events that, that took place. And then, like you, some of you already pointed out, he ate with them. And, and you know what's more amazing about this? This whole thing. Somebody mentioned the changes in the disciples. Let's back it up a step. Were the disciples expecting and looking forward to seeing him? No. No. In fact, when one of them heard that he appeared, what did he say? I don't believe it. I won't believe it until I can do what? Yeah. Okay. So he's appearing to critics to skeptics, I should say. And so Jesus is all these appearances. And then, as we said, uh, these ideas, they touch him, they ate with him, they conversed with him, they had conversation. It wasn't just like a one-way somebody talking. There was conversation going back and forth. So this entity that appeared to them was, was you know, not canned. It was real. And it was mo- all of this together forms what Luke says to him who was a physician, who was given to detail. He says... This is infallible proofs. And then on top of it, let's add that, that one that is from just so staggering. These guys were willing to die. People don't, aren't willing to give their own life for a lie. But these guys were willing to give their life for this. And so they were absolutely convinced. Luke says infallible proofs. And so the resurrection, by the way, it was a work done by Jesus Christ. It was an assignment. You read where Jesus said, I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. Could Jesus have stopped the crucifixion? At any moment, he could have what? Somebody was referring to the... He could have called. Yeah, he could at any moment. He says, I lay it down. I have power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up again. This command I received of my father. So Jesus' work was done in obedience to the father, that he was resurrected, that he comes. Now you think about this. If Jesus didn't do this work, where does that leave us? If he didn't resurrect... Then what did Paul write in 1 Corinthians? And we'll add to it. Our faith in preaching is in vain. Christianity is a false religion. Then it means there's no resurrection of any of us. If Christ didn't resurrect, we are yet in our sins. If he didn't resurrect, then we have no Savior. If he didn't resurrect, there's no ascension. If he didn't go into heaven, we have no mediator in heaven. If he didn't resurrect, there's no intercessor pleading our cases. We have no advocate pleading for us when Satan accuses us. This resurrection is critical because without it, the Holy Spirit couldn't come. Without the resurrection, our faith is... Okay, so it is essential... That when Luke says this resurrection, which we're going to preach, we're going to talk about, we're going to share, it's essential to Christianity. It's essential to our salvation. You personally believing. Because Romans chapter 10 talks about how you believe that God has raised him from the dead. Okay, so it's a critical aspect of our beliefs. It has to be a critical aspect of our message. As a church, what must we proclaim? Jesus Christ 
died, buried, resurrected, and then ascended into heaven. And so we have to make sure that this is an essential we not only believe in, but we proclaim. And so it's a critical mass when it comes to the Christianity. So there's, he mentions it, but he mentions something else that is absolutely essential and critical. He referred to him in verse 2, where he says, until the day he was taken up, after that he threw, Jesus is still going to do a work, but who does he talk about now? He talks about the Holy Spirit. And so part of the book of Acts is introducing us to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is absolutely essential for our beliefs, our work as a church, our success in our Christian life or as a ministry. So what I wanted to do is just back up for a second, and we'll develop some of this a little bit more in chapter 2. But did the Old Testament, did the Old Testament teach there was a Holy Spirit? The answer is absolutely. Did the disciples believe in the Holy Spirit? Yes, they talked about it. They mentioned it. Jesus preached it. And so in the Old Testament, if you go through and you look, the Holy Spirit did come upon people at times. He, the words are, he came upon or he filled people. And so that happened, or an anointed is the other one in the, in the Old Testament language, that the Holy Spirit would come on people. But when he would come on people, he would come on individuals for special occasions and special individuals for a special task. So it wasn't a ministry that the Holy Spirit had with everyone, but he would only come upon a select few at a select moment for a select ministry. And so I give you just a few of the examples of when that happened. And so Jesus is talking to the disciples when he comes to this earth. Well, actually, let's back up. John the Baptist was the first one that mentioned this. John the Baptist mentioned that when Jesus comes, the one whose shoe latchets I'm not worthy to untie or to tie, he says something about this one who comes, and he's referring to Jesus. He said, I indeed baptize you with water, but he that comes after me is mightier than me. And he says, he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. I'm doing water baptism, but he's going to do a baptism. That's the first time we read about it. John predicts it. And then when Jesus is, a disciple, is ministering with his disciples, and we're going to jump to the last night of his ministry. In that last evening, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. And he makes comments about the Holy Spirit that are really, really important. He says, I pray, well, pray the Father. He's going to give you another comforter, one like me. He says that he may abide, and this is, this is really important. This is the first time they're hearing it. He's going to come and be with you for how long? Forever. See, in the Old Testament, he didn't do that. In the Old Testament, he could come and leave, come and leave. David even prayed in the Psalm 51, take not thy spirit from me. Okay, and so that was, that, Jesus is saying that what happened in the past, it's going to change. I'm going to send my, my Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he's going to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, and he dwells with you and will be where? He's going to be in you. This was new. That wasn't always the way in the Old Testament. Now he's going to be in you for how long? Okay. And so he makes comments. He says, The Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will then teach you all things, bring into... Re oh, I love this verse. I love that phrase. Bring all things to remembrance. I am pleading that verse more and more as each day goes by. Help me to remember. Is anybody with me on this one? Help me to remember where I parked my car. Help me to remember where I put my keys. 
Help me to remember the name of my kids. Just help me to remember. Now, in this text, he's not talking about those things that, that we struggle with age, but he's talking about, he's going to bring truth to your remembrance. And he says, whatsoever I have said unto you, Jesus expands some more upon it that night. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he's going to testify of me. And you will also then be able to bear witness because you've been with me. So the Holy Spirit, when he comes, is going to help you to be a witness. He goes further. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is absolutely to your advantage. Expedient. It's necessary. It's to your benefit that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, if I leave, then I'm going to send him to you. And he will be in you, with you, all of you. This is an amazing thought that he's giving. He's going to help you walk in truth, guide you in all things. So what Jesus is talking about in this text is he mentions the Holy Spirit back in verse 2, but then go to verse 4. In verse 4, and being assembled together with all the disciples, he commanded them that they should not depart from where? Jerusalem, but they should wait for what? The promise of the Father, which said he, you have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with what? The Holy Spirit, predicted by John, predicted by Jesus, not many days hence. And so Jesus is saying to the disciples, every single one of you, remember, these guys are not those select individuals that were like kings or craft workers. They were normal Joes like you and I, selected to serve Jesus Christ. We know that in time they, be, they formed the core of the apostles. But that had just thrilled their heart, that they were going to get the Holy Spirit. He was going to stay with them all the time. And this was going to be then an ongoing ministry that's going to take place to guide them, to help them, to give them remembrance of what what Jesus said, which was critical because at times they didn't hear Jesus. At times they forgot what he had said just days before when they got a new trouble. They all of a sudden forgot the, the, the passage or the lessons he had taught the day before. Not that we would do that, but the disciples struggled with that. And the spirit they said was going to teach us further and to help us to learn even more and to help us to be witnesses. And he was going to, when he helped us to be witnesses, according to John 16, he would be there to bring conviction upon those whom the world, uh, who the word was going to be given to. So they're excited about this. They're knowing that the Holy Spirit is an essential. Luke giving a little bit of history now, because he's only come on the scene later on in the book of Acts. He's saying, man, I want to make sure you understand, Jesus resurrected, Jesus is alive, the Holy Spirit, which God had promised and Jesus had promised, he was told that he would come. So in Acts chapter uh, 4, Jesus is saying, this promise is coming, this Holy Spirit, when he comes, he's going to help you, and the disciples do what we do. All of a sudden, when Jesus is teaching, Hey, by the way, I have a question about something you mentioned a while back. Yeah, you said something about such and such, and they're particularly concerned about the kingdom. Because when the kingdom comes, does it benefit them? Yeah, all the problems go away. They get to be on seats that Jesus had promised. It's going to be glory. And they're like, okay, you're talking about we're going to get some help to handle problems. We're more interested in getting out of here. Can you relate to that? Okay, and so he, they're making this, and Jesus says, hey, listen, 
I'm not going to tell you when you're going to get out of here. I'm not going to tell you when the kingdoms come. That's up to God, God's timetable. But what I want you to focus on right now is I want you to focus on, I told you the Spirit's going to come. I told you the other night that the Spirit's going to be in you. I told you that he's going to help remind you. He's going to guide you so you can be witnesses. I told you that. And so that's what I want you to focus on right now is how can you be witnesses? He says, I want you to be able to do it, not to be worried about the future so much as be busy in the present. So to help you to do that, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit that I promised because it's not going to be easy for you. It's going to be difficult. And he's talking to men. Now think this through. He's talking to individuals who he says, I chose you. He's talking to individuals that they are called apostles. He's talking to individuals that they have walked with Jesus for up to two years now. They have also been very close to him. Some have gone in the garden to pray with him. They've seen him weeping. They've seen him struggling. They have already cast out demons. They have already done some preaching already. They have been people who have been very clearly the leaders of all of the followers. When crowds would come, they would do the ushering. They would handle any kind of gifts that were given. These guys were very active in ministry already, doing things. But he says, you need help. You need help. And I'm going to help you. I'm going to send my spirit that I promised. And that spirit is going to give you assistance. Jesus is so gracious in sending his help, his spirit. You know, it kind of reminds the United States does this. The United States trains people. Okay. So we train people like one of our young men, Michael Fry, Captain Michael Fry, gets training through the Air Force. And when the training's all done, does the military say, now, Mike, we want you to fly one of the fighter jets. Go buy one. Does the US, U.S. do that? No. Okay, those of you who are in the military and you served in some capacity, and so you were, after your boot camp, did the government say to you, go buy your weapons, your ammo, your flak jacket, your helmet? Did they do that to you? Okay, any of you serve in Navy? Any Navy people? Were you Navy? Okay. You didn't, you didn't probably do this, but do you know of any others in the Navy that they trained them on how to, let's say, steer a submarine? Did they tell those guys, go buy your submarine? They didn't do that to any of them? Why not? I couldn't afford it, <laughs> absolutely. So our military, in their wisdom, says if we train them, we will equip them. Jesus has trained the disciples now for months and months and months. He's not going to send them into the battle without weaponry, without help, without the equipment. He says, I'm going to send my spirit, and this is the promise that I made to you. This is the promise God made to you. And so Jesus says, I have to return to heaven, and when I return, I'm going to send the spirit. We know it comes in the book of Acts. We'll talk about it in a couple weeks. But he says, you're going to need this spirit. You've got to have him to remember, to have guidance, to learn. You've got to have him in order to have the ability, the power, the dunamis to be the witnesses. And so you and I stop and we say, okay, what does this teach us? The Holy Spirit was essential for those guys. If he was essential for them, he's essential and needed for or by us. We ought not grieve him. We ought not quench him. We need to be relying upon the Spirit. In other words, we need to be filled with the Spirit on a regular basis. And so he is an essential part of our belief, our behavior, our families, our church, how we function. I dare not 
Okay? I dare not say, okay, I know enough that I can just preach the Word of God in and of my own abilities. If, if I do that, it'll destroy this church. If the deacons deke in their own power and ability, we're doomed. This work has got to be the work of Jesus Christ through his Spirit. And we need to be relying. It is absolutely essential that we rely on the words and works of Jesus, that we rely upon the Holy Spirit, but also, you know what's critical to the success of Christianity and Christians? Obedience. Obedience on the part of the believers. Now watch what he does in this passage. He just kind of unfolds it. He says to them, wait in Jerusalem, he says, until the Holy Spirit comes to you. We read down in verse 8. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall what? The wording here is not a future prophecy. It is a command. You are to be witnesses to me, is the way it can be interpreted. Not just you will be, you must be. You will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and on the uttermost part of the earth. So one of the commands that stands out in this passage is witnessing, giving out the gospel. And we know from the book of Acts, and we'll see it, that this was an important part of their life. Twenty-nine times the word witnessing shows up. It is the word martyrus. We get what word out of it, looking at it in the way it sounds. Martyr. Okay. It simply means to share the facts, to give a testimony, to testify. And so they're supposed to testify. Look at the chapter 1, verse 8. What does he want them to witness of? You shall be witnesses what did he say? Unto me or of me. Okay? You are supposed to be witnessing about me. Telling people... Now think this through. We're not supposed to be going out and talking about how nice we all are. Even though you're all nice. We're not supposed to be talking about how wonderful our music is. Even though it's nice and it's good, it's wonderful. We're not supposed to be talking about how, you know simple or elegant, whatever words you want to use, how clean the building is. We're not supposed to be talking about what we have done. Who are we supposed to be talking about? Jesus Christ. He's to, we're supposed to be witnessing. Now, we know in the book of Acts, we know that these guys obeyed, that they went out. And we're going to talk about it more and more, that they start in Jerusalem, they go into Judea, and they go into the outermost parts of the earth. So that by the time the book of Acts ending, it's permeating the Mediterranean, the known Roman world at that time. We know that they were obedient. The question is, are you and I? The question is, are you giving out the word of God? Are we sharing it and taking it? We do it through our church, but do we do it as individuals? That is one of the commands here. A command to maintain vision. That's the hardest part of a church, is maintain vision. It is easy for us, as time goes by, to all of a sudden look at our own needs, our own stuff, and stop thinking, how do we get the word out? What can we do? How do we invest? How do we help? How do we promote missions? And we can easily become complacent. And he's going to warn these guys, can't be done you got to keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. Keep on obeying this command. But there's a second command that's given earlier in the text that personally I think it's almost as hard, if not harder. There's another command. Back up to the, to the first part of the verses. He says in verse 4, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart for Jerusalem, but do what? But to wait. Okay? 
He's telling them to wait. Now think this through. Where are they supposed to wait? Where? What, what city? Jerusalem. Is Jerusalem their hometown? Not for most of them. What's just recently happened in Jerusalem? In the last few weeks, what's happened? Jesus was crucified. Okay? And Jesus said, whatever they do to... They're going to... Yeah, okay. And so in the last few days, what have the leaders of the Jews been saying about the disciples? Do you remember Matthew 28? They paid the soldiers who guarded the tomb, they paid them to do what? To lie and say what? The disciples stole the body. So what are the leaders propagating through Jerusalem? The disciples are liars. They're body snatchers. They're thieves. They're guilty of giving false witness. They should be... So Jesus is telling these disciples, he's telling them, don't go home. Don't go back to where your business is or your family is, where you're comfortable. And by the way, during these 40 days, have they gone home? I go back to fishing, John chapter 21. They went back home for some of those days. But when Jesus gathers with them, he says... Get back to Jerusalem and stay there. Okay, so he's putting them in a very uncomfortable spot. And he's saying, you're going to just wait. Some of you know what waiting is like. You're waiting for the doctor's report. You're waiting to hear a result. Did we get the bid for the house? We're waiting to find out. Did I get that job or not? Waiting can be extremely difficult. Yes? Can it be tiring? And so he's saying, he's saying, guys, I just want you to wait. You know, could he have sent the Holy Spirit if he wanted to? Could he have sent him at any moment? But he says, I want to wait because his timetable was that way. And so they have to sit there and wait in a dangerous spot. Do they do it? Absolutely. They hang out in Jerusalem. In this difficult spot, they stay there. They're obedient because look at what it says. After he left, it says, they returned unto Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. Some of us would have said, he's gone, I'll go do what I want. And they said, no, no, the disciples are obedient. Why? They're obedient to the resurrected living Savior who says, you need help, and before you can go out and do any ministry, you got to wait. you got to wait, because I promise it's going to get better. I'm going to give you what you need. And so they obey. Obedience is essential to your Christian life. Obedience is essential to this church. That we follow the word of God. That we do exactly what, it want, what he wants. That we are obedient in the smallest details to the major details. That if we obey and listen to Christ, we are confident then he can bless. You know, do you ever fly in an airplane and look around? You get on the plane, you sit down, 
And as you're sitting and getting settled in, and I'm always so gracious, I take the window seat, my wife gets the other seat. And so I get snuggled up, and I always find this semi, just kind of looking around, because after they get everybody settled in, they close the doors, what does the steward or stewardess do? What's one of their first duties? They come up, they stand up there with those placards, and they hold it up, and somebody is announcing while somebody is going through the Vanna White thing of, you know, showing everything on this card. And they're demonstrating all the things you need to do if there is an emergency. Okay. I always enjoy watching people at that moment. The majority of people, what are they doing? They're not listening to that person. But if they're a first-time flyer. You can always tell, first-time flyer. They're pulling that plastic thing out. They're following along, word by word. They're ready to pull up that seat cushion. That's a flotation device that if you're flying from here to Pittsburgh, in case you crash in the ocean, you need that flotation device. And they're very attentive, okay, if it's the first time. But for those of us who have done it before, we're getting settled in. We're doing our own thing. You know, I think the disciples, at this moment in Acts, I think they're like, we might crash. We might not make it. We better listen to what he's saying now. Because there's been moments they haven't listened. But now they're absolutely tuned into Christ to say, I'm on his every word. If he says, go to Jerusalem, I'm going to Jerusalem. If he says, wait, I'm waiting. If he says, you know, be witnesses, I'll be witnesses. Because now, now things have gotten very serious and critical because he's not here. He's not here to bail us out physically. This is now on us through his power, through his guidance and all. We better listen. Where are you at on this flight with Christ? How is it with you? Are you paying attention to the words of Jesus in your everyday life? Are you following his commands that he gives? Do they really make an impact now the way they're supposed to all along? But now all of a sudden, if we want blessings in our life, we need the essential of obedience. We want blessings as a church. We need the essential of obedience. There is one more, one more essential I wanted to mention before we wrap up, and that is this, the incentive of Christ's return. The incentive of Christ's return. He says to them, got to go to Jerusalem, stay there, and then I'll send. But watch what happens after he's done saying you're going to be witnesses. And verse 9, and when he had spoken these things, while they were watching, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they continued to look steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Who are those guys? Okay. Which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. You know, there's this promise that, that is made that's just a tremendous essential in our lives. Jesus is going, you know, if, if Jesus hadn't ascended into heaven, we can repeat some of what we said before. If he didn't go into heaven, 
we are just miserable. We are just without faith. We are just left destitute. But he's going into heaven, and he's doing all of these things up into heaven. He's promised that, that the Holy Spirit will come, but he's also promised, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And so Jesus is very similarly saying, we don't know the times. None of us know the time when he's coming back. If, if somebody is claiming and putting out a book or has a TV program or a blog and saying they figured it out, don't listen to them. They'll just confuse you. The word of God, Jesus himself said, no man knows the hour of the day, the time. It's just, we, we, we don't know. But we know he's coming back. And because he's coming back, that should impact us. We know this. We know when he comes back to earth, he's going to the Mount of Olives. We know that when he comes back, he's going to come physically. He's going to come gradually, riding a horse very clearly in, in the book of Revelation. He's going to be seen by people. And that's so in reference here is more of his second coming than the rapture. But the point is that Jesus is saying, I'm coming back. You guys do the job. Be ready. L- let, me, let me bring this to. Okay. Some of you are of that wonderful age of 15, 16 years old. What is the highlight of life at 16 years of age? What do you get? Driver's license. Okay. So you're planning to get your driver's license or parents, you're planning them to get a driver's license. Do you prepare? Yes or no? What do you do? You pray. Okay. (laughs) A lot. Probably this is your fasting moment. Okay. Okay. So those of those, you know, somebody getting their license, they should probably read the the book. They take some of the, uh, what do you call them, tests? Yeah, you know what I mean. Permit tests. Yeah, they should probably practice, okay? I'm advocating that this parking lot is a wonderful place to come and practice when my car's not there. Come over, practice all you want, bring your chairs, put them there, parallel parking. It's a wonderful place. Come any day of the week and you will see what I mean. It's being used all the time. So you practice the driving, you do all those things, you get them in before you show up at the place to do the test. So you prepare for that event. Let's change events. You're going on vacation. What do you do? Any of you prepare for your vacation, or you just all of a sudden one day say, we're leaving. You call the boss and say, I'm taking vacation this week. To their surprise, okay? And you say to your family, we're going on vacation. Let's go. And you all walk out in the car, get in and go. Or do you prepare? Any of you prepare? What, do you, what kind of stuff do you do? You pack. Reservations. If you're flying, what probably would be a good idea? Yeah, buy a ticket. That would probably be helpful. Okay. Probably helpful if you're driving, that you put gas in the car ahead of time, check it out. Different things. Okay. Let's make it more, more challenging. Your in-laws are coming. What do you do? <laughs> I'll beat you to it. You lock the door, pull down the shades, and pretend. No, 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 no. So you have relatives coming to visit. What do you do? You clean the house. Okay. <laughs> I want to be so snide, and I've got to be very careful. Anything else you do? 
you buy groceries. It'd be nice to feed them. Or maybe that'll shorten the visit. Do you remember, do you remember that old saying? Um, sleep tight, don't let the bed bugs bite. Okay, do you know where, remember where they came from? Okay, in, in colonial days, you would, everything, straws, everything was in the mattress. And what would they do for the box? It was ropes. And so you would tighten it up so that there wouldn't be sagging. So sleep tight was tighten up the, mat, the box spring so you don't sag. <laughs> I was reading an article. They said it was a very common practice that when you wanted people to leave, you would loosen up the ropes. <laughs> So they would sleep uncomfortably and they'd leave. So it was a common, common practice to have the housemate or whatever loosen the ropes. Okay, so you're getting prepared for people to come. Jesus is saying in this text, I'm coming back. I'm coming. Be, be prepared. Be prepared. And you and I know this. We talk about this. This is an essential incentive to our everyday service. Why do you keep on being faithful? Because he's coming back. Why do you live a pure life? Because he's coming back. Why do you bother serving? Because he's coming back. Why do you, why do you have any hope going through difficult moments? He's coming back. It's an essential. My question to you are, these are major essentials to the church as a whole, are they in your heart? Are they in your life? Are they, are they something you value and you impact and you think about? That, they, that it helps you, it encourages you, it gives you incentive. I told the Bible study group on Wednesday about there was a, a World's Fair. Before they had the World's Fair, they called it the Crystal Palace Exhibition. And they had a context, because if you look at the date, it's the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. And they said, bring devices, and we're going to give out a major prize for whoever has the most clever device. Somebody came and won. They had a a machine that had parts, 7,000 moving parts that operated by steam. And did all kinds. There was whistles. There was gears. There was all kinds of things that were a part of it. But those of you at the Bible study, what do you remember about this device that took first place? It didn't do anything other than that. It just moved and made noise. Moved and made noise. Moved and made noise. But it was totally unproductive. Was that us this morning, so far in this worship service? Did we just make noise? Did we just move? This week in your Christian walk, were you productive? Or were you just... Moving and making noise. The essentials are critical to becoming productive in your faith. Father, I pray that you would help us to be a group of believers that would be behaviors. People who would apply the word of God and do exactly what this passage is instructing, challenging, listing. Help everyone here to believe in the resurrection. The resurrected Savior. Help everyone to be reliant on the Spirit. Help everyone here to be obedient to the Spirit. Help everyone here to be motivated by the return of Jesus Christ. Not just for these next moments, but for tomorrow and the next day and the next day.
Help us to dwell on the essentials and how that should impact our thinking, our living this week. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, the instrumentalist is playing through a song of surrender. And here you are this morning, and you are not sure you're on your way to heaven. We want to share with you from the Word of God how you can be sure. So we have some staff going to the side door, the right-hand side of this auditorium. And if you would like to go and talk with somebody right now and get your eternal security, your eternal destinies, get that settled. Then feel free to get up and go with those other folks that are walking. Just follow them over to that area. They'll take you aside in a private room and show you how you can be sure of your eternal destiny relationship with Christ. Do that right now. But you're here this morning and you're a believer. You have already done that prayer. You've already called upon Christ. Are you living by the essentials? Are you proclaiming the resurrection of Christ? Are you relying on the Spirit? Are you obedient? Are you living as if Christ could come back any moment? If not, then make changes. Tell Jesus right now what you will do differently. Make a commitment. Father, help us to be surrendered. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.